know, this came out on uh, December 22nd uh, in the Whoa. States. Yeah. Just met the deadline. Just for barely a 2000 got release. Well, in oh, Europe, yeah. it was called Dracula 2001. Which oh, I, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's very funny. 2001, a vampire odyssey. What if they did a new Dracula every year in the vein of a sports game? So Dracula 2K1, Dracula yeah, 2K22. Yeah. Sure, sure. Oh, right on, yeah. You and every the year, Dracula yeah. roster. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, new new Dracula. Yeah, new. Uh, this is my new Van Helsing this yeah. year. You know, this is you got to do that. Uh, coming in at Lucy is you got uh, the uh, the vampire. Uh, um, what's the? I can't. I just lost the word. Never mind. The word for vampire? <laughs> no. What's the word I was looking? Siring. Va- oh, you got sire. the. It's like instead of like having general manager mode, you have vampire siring mode. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, these yeah. are the possible recruits. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. is a good bet. I like that. Blue a lot. chips, you know. Yeah, we can pull. We'll get in. there somewhere with it. Yeah, there's something there. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table. We'll discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film says course, and it is Shocktober. And Dude, lightning crash, and there's crash. a. It's alive! It's yeah. alive! Sawin. Ah. It's Ooh. actually recorded, not live at all, as a podcast. Yeah, of course. For you all, talking about horror movies and movies that don't find their way to film size course. And this is one we've discussed, like, a lot over it's, the last several years. It's, come it's up been in, on a lot of uh, Elser instead lists. It's on and the maybe radar. Some syllabis. It's on a radar thing, yeah. yeah. Dustin, you, you've advocated for this for quite some time. I like this movie. It's I'm very fun. excited to talk about it. It's so silly, and I just like that about it. So, uh, in case you're tuning into the Good Trash on... Oh, by the way, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Still Dalton. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that means spoilers. And so yeah. we will spoil this film, and it does have a spoily, twisty little end. Uh, but we'll avoid those spoilers for the first part of the show. We'll do it like this. Synopsis, spoiler-free. Thumbs up, thumbs down, reviews. Spoiler gentle. Moving on to uh, the expanding the syllabus exercise that we do. Uh, there may be spoilers of this movie, but more likely spoilers of films in its orbit. And last and not least, we get down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. So with that, Arthur, delight us with the syllabus, please. Dustin, I would be honored. In London, antique trader. Matthew Van Helsing lords over a wealth of oddities, oddities too good for thieves to pass up. Following a heist, these thieves find themselves with a bit of an oddity themselves, a sealed silver coffin. As they make their escape to the States with the treasures they have found, the thieves open the coffin, and in doing so, they release a centuries-old evil that has only one thing on its mind, blood. <laughs> we and, got you know the, whatever else Gerard Butler's into. And, yeah, yeah, you uh, definitely got Haggis, the voice maybe. of the cinema there. Yeah, Haggis. Yeah, you really no. I, you brought the baritone, and it, yeah. it needs it. This I, is this is October. Yeah. It's yeah. October. It's a horror movie. Exactly. Um, it's Dracula. I spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> Dracula is in the box. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even yeah, on that's... the movie called Dracula 2000. So and I'm now showing an infographic of an iceberg and. There's the spoilers. Just what we're sh- yeah okay <laughs> okay yeah yeah, yeah. This, you got it. You this got is it. a surface level spoiler. What if there were two thousand Draculas? <gasps> oh yeah, like a thousand maniacs or whatever. Yeah, that would have been I an interesting that. twist. All yeah. played by Gerard Butler <laughs> in <laughs> different accents and costumes. <sighs> I don't know that he can do more than the one accent. I think it's all Which he got. He can barely do to begin with. Yeah. Well, yeah. mostly he whispers. Right, that's his. That's his Dracula He's... accent. Is the whispering? Yeah. It, well, it's yeah. I guess the soft voice makes it easier to it, not sound Scottish. Not the. Yeah, Less Scottish and yeah, more generically, he, he's so baby in this too. Oh, he's so I young, mean, very young in his career. Tiny, tiny. This early. is like his uh, very early one. I think this is the first U.S. 
thing. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I know he's got some UK. You're probably not far off prior to this. Uh, it is, you know, I was going to say it's not quite futuristic enough to be a Dracula 2000, but as I say that, I think, boy, is this movie the 2000s aesthetic, right? right. Some real proto-vape cinema going mm-hmm. on here. Yeah, for sure. So, well, with that, I feel like this is kind of my fault, uh, since I have advocated for this film for the last few years. I am curious to know, your because th- this is a first-time watch for both of you cats, right? No, not for Arthur. Uh, I think I've seen bits and pieces of one of the sequels where there's martial arts. Yes, with Jason Scott Lee. Yeah, I think I've seen bits and pieces As of two. Father Uffizi or something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. Jason Scott Lee, the Italian. It's weird that this got two sequels because it didn't make its budget back. I don't. Is this series a money laundering operation? Uh, very likely. <laughs> well, okay. you said they were direct to video, though, right? They were direct to video. Yeah. Okay, that makes way more sense. Sure. So with that, Dalton, you are the Virgin. Yes. Records viewer of this film funny so with that uh tell us what are your initial thoughts on dracula 2k uh, so this starts out as one movie and it turns into a different movie which is fine but i i, I was kind of excited for the uh the monster v bandits movie um but it doesn't last well that's the long. sequel but it, oh is that what the sequel is so uh fun fact yeah uh, ori- original plotting is that bandits will steal the body of Dracula and they're going to be holed up in a YMCA trying to find a buyer and they know it's Dracula and um, hilarity ensues. That was like the original premise. That was the original premise, which is the premise of the sequel. Okay, cool. That's really fun. Very Reservoir Dogs. I like that production history, though. Okay, and that makes a lot more sense. I think that movie's Sounds interesting. I do think I prefer what we get here. I like that it's a little more expansive. I like the New Orleans setting. I think that's fun. Um, you know, obviously it's during Mardi Gras. That's sort of, of course it's during Mardi Gras. Gras. That's fine. Whatever. I I like it as a setting for a vampire story, uh, and getting Dracula there. That that makes a lot of sense. It's cool. It's different than the Moors of England. Um, I like what Christopher Plummer's doing. He knows exactly what movies he's in. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller's, you know, doing action hero guy thing. Um, it's weird that this movie sort of ends up having the plot of the last Jedi a little bit. Uh, around the midway point, okay. which is yeah, somebody okay. is tempting someone via visions that they're sending them. Sort of okay, yeah, right. The dark side and the light. Yeah, side. chosen ones and such. Okay, I mean you're not wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, I I think it's fun though. You know, uh, it's it is exactly what it reports to be. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, it is Dracula 2000. It doesn't have enough Omar apps. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I think he's man. As soon as he gets turned into a vampire, he is just having the time of his life and i could have used at least two more scenes but i think everybody is, is kind of doing that i like that this movie spreads the love as far as who gets to do vampire acting and everybody's seems to be enjoying themselves immensely uh as far as you know, i'm not going to make a pun but you know uh, etc scenery chewing his teeth okay uh yeah i don't know i can see why you like it though <laughs> and i think once we get past talking about spoilers which i i think the spoilers are the most interesting part of this movie and that's sort of a problem uh, especially uh <laughs> when the 2000s and it's weird how early movies started ripping off the matrix you know it had only been out for like 15 months uh when this was released or 18 mm-hmm. months or so it's the tarantino effect right i mean sure it goes yeah, yeah, that is so it goes. Well, it was scripted as a Tarantino effect, and then bought and where's the Hollywood effect? In, I mean, that's yeah in the in the wake of, and so there's rope work. Rope work for a vampire movie makes a lot of sense, though, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's well used here. Honestly, I mean, there's there's some fun sort of uh, jumping and walling 
that happens late in the game that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of. Uh, yeah, but overall, it is goofy as hell, and not not in a bad way. Um, it doesn't seem too self-serious, which would, I don't know, are the sequels more self-serious, or do they kind of have a similar tongue-in-cheekness to them? They are cheeky. Okay. They continue to be cheeky. And I think that that works for this. And more thoroughly Catholic. See, that's fun. And I, I like how Catholic this movie is. I like it when that's just like, okay, let's throw them at the vampires. That's whatever. This this is a pairing that makes as much sense as anything else. Let's go for it. Um, yeah, it's it's very okay. I, I like that it kicks off a trend uh, that we're going to explore in this marathon. You know, We'll be looking at the, the aughts remakes of a lot of different horror properties. And this feels like one of the early ones, although I feel like I'm sure there's a late 90s remake that I'm forgetting. Of uh, something, I'm uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, something notable. Um, but yeah, this this does start, start a trend. That's sort of interesting, especially considering it's low box office returns. It's it's weird that horror remake sort of became the the idea of the day. Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Mister Daltonster, Mister Arthur Gordon. What say you, coming back to the movie, rising from the grave? Do you still like it, or do you are you glad you came back? Uh, yeah, I, I think it actually held up a little better than I anticipated. I've seen it. God, I mean, I must have seen it probably on TV or rented it not long after it was released on home video. Um, so I, it's been that long, and I think I may have watched it once or once or twice since then. Uh, but, but it's been a while, so I was you know I was kind of curious. Obviously, this the it's been twenty years uh, since this came out, and so I think uh, that that doesn't always bode well. But I think for the most part, this actually holds up visually uh, in, in many ways. Uh, it, it's I think. Uh, not as reliant on CGI as a lot of other movies at this time. Yeah. And I think that works to its benefit in many ways. I, I love the, 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 the little futuristic things, the things they do mostly within the, the weaponry and technology that Van Helsing has. Uh, I think that's really fun. The security on his vault is great. Yeah. And, and the, like the, the state guns and stuff like that are, are, are silly fun. And it is that very two thousands. I mean, it really does kind of set up, I think, uh, or, 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 you know, see a very visual style of the time and, and very reflective of a, a style that defines that entire decade in, in a really interesting way. It's also got a little steampunk in it, uh, especially like kind of foreshadowing the Van Helsing movie to come later in this decade. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The crossbows, um, I mean. But I, I mean, kind of like Dalton, I mean, the, the most fun thing, I think, is the mythology that it plays with and builds around, uh, which is just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, but I, I think as it stands, it's, it's a pretty solid little action horror film. Uh, like you said, Omar Epps is a lot of fun. The, uh, most of the baddie henchmen are a lot of fun. I think everybody's hamming it up pretty well. Um, not as interested in our, our pro tags, except for Plummer. I think who's just, you know, no matter what, whether he's singing and fighting off the Nazis or fighting off vampires, he's having a good old time. God, mm-hmm. He's so good. Uh, and so I really appreciate Christopher Plummer uh, and, and what he brings to this. And uh, I like vampires, I like Draculas. Uh, and so this kind of scratches that itch. And yeah, I was glad we got to it. I'm glad we finally got it to the table, and I'm glad uh, it, it held up better than I anticipated. So uh, here we are after almost 10 years of doing this. This is our 10th Shocktober, and we finally got Dracula 2000 to the table. Dustin sells. What do you think? Why? Do you love it? Is I, it because Nathan Fillion plays a baby priest? Um, I mean, Nathan <laughs> Fillion as baby priest is great. Is that anything like Boss Baby? Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby clergy. And uh, I think Fillion's little performance there where, I mean, it's not overtly said, but I, it seems that he probably does know the secret and doesn't want to tell 
our Mary character, uh, Mary Van Helsing. I guess I'll go ahead and give that away um, at this point. That's a fine spoiler. I, yeah. I think it's fine. It's not the plot doesn't hinge on it, but uh, there, there's a way in which his performance is really kind of subdued in a way where I just don't want to go there, and I don't want anything to do with this madness and so and there's some discussion of that that on the director's commentary as well and uh i yeah i I really do like that i like him in the movie quite a bit and so the movie is as we've said is great and i do love how omar epps plays it silly and i'm there for that well he's he's so reserved too like he's he's playing the professional one of the the bandit crew so yeah Yeah. the the turn from him is really fun an eye for an eye mate (laughs) i mean it's just hilarious um and so i I really like that uh again the plum we've already mentioned um is always excellent the senior van helsing yeah absolutely and just a role he was is this the only time he played van helsing because that sort of feels like something he should have got to do i mean he's really really milking that sort of lineage of peter cushing right and i love that about him and i don't know if he's ever done uh the van helsing before but it seemed like he should have and it seemed like he should come to it again for sure uh as an old van helsing I just I, we I still have him, right? We didn't, he wasn't one of the ones we lost last year. I don't think so. We got a plumber. Didn't he? We still got a plum, right? Maybe we do. Do we have the plumber? No, he passed away. This, <sighs> what what year is this? We're now We're in twenty twenty one. He passed yeah. away this year. Oh, this year wow. in I thought I thought okay. Ninety one. Ninety one. He had a great run. God, yeah. what a career. Yeah. I didn't realize we'd lost him in just I mean, he started in fifty eight. So many. <sighs> it's been a long year. Mm-hmm. A long 18-month year. It's like the long 20th century, right? 2022 is just two months away, three months away, something like that. That's uh, coming quick. Um, but anyway, uh, yes, I love the plum, and I uh, wish he would come back and do that. Um, but he was he... Professor Paris Catalano in Vampire in Venice. Oh, okay. okay. So that's a Van Helsing-esque role, it sounds like. Probably, sounds yeah. like, yeah. You know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I love that. I love our three brides of Dracula. They are fantastic. Jennifer Be- Esposito being one of the sort of central ones. Right, Jerry right. Ryan. Jerry oh, Ryan, God, seven don't... of nine as a... Uh, and in vitamin C uh, coming in. <laughs> God, what a what a coming on, number three on the charts this week. <laughs> Jerry Ryan, vitamin C, Jennifer Esposito. I don't what know if you noticed or not, but um, she is stocking her own CDs at Virgin, uh, which is hilarious. Good bit. Good that bit. That's uh, so I enjoy that. That is good. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the movie works. I think plotting wise, it totally works. I, I think there's bits of exposition that are a little exhausting. Plumber's got this line where he says, I don't know why Stoker would brace uh, this on my long-lost ancestor who was just a country doctor. By the way, I'm trying to say I'm connected. You know, the first, yeah, the first half of this movie really leans heavily on the, this movie requires people to not tell each other really important things. Right. And, so frustrating. And bits of exposition that are just heavy there, you know, like, okay, clearly, you know, okay, we're going to make this connection for now and we might do something else with it later, but whatever. Um, so there are, there are heavy handed bits here and there, uh, again, dialogue wise, but otherwise totally fine, totally fun, totally works. And, uh, I like beginning opening with the, the voyage of the Demeter and, uh, and then moving into another voyage of the Demeter on an airplane. I think that's Clever. fascinating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I dig it. It's Dracula. It's very, it's a good update. And not an update that's exhausting, and it does something that's not new with the mythology. That 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 has been suggested elsewhere before, but not a lot, and not commonly suggested, and therefore, fine. I dig it. So, I'm there. 
We'll talk about another alternate origin that ties into the sort of. Uh, well, I'm, I don't want. I'll be. No, not gonna. There, I can't think of a way <laughs> to be vague enough. There's. There are other alternate there's origins. There's another that, alternate origin I want to mention that I think is fun. Okay. It's connected to the one we get in this movie. Okay. Well, I'm I'm curious to hear more about that. So, with all of that, I believe we move now into our little exercise that we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, what is that? Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Are you scratching your back like a bear on that chair? A little bit. I'm, I have an itchy back. I don't know why. I just sometimes, you know. <laughs> hey, pop, you know what? You could pop, be itching something else on your chair. Pop, pop a bear's got to scratch sometimes. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Moving right along. Um, Arthur, let's hear your syllabus first, pal. Yeah, I, I think I want to go with the modern takes on classic monsters because of the way this does play with mythology and kind of uh, modernizes some... Uh, Lightly buried. I mean, this the you know, Dustin's already said it, so I don't want to say it again. Anyway, we're doing modern takes on classic monsters. I'm going to start with vampires. Uh, I think there is this habit of very popular uh, monsters or mythology that if you begin to play with them, people get upset. Like, mm. that can't be a vampire if it doesn't do... You know what I mean? Um, he sparkles in the sunshine. He's not a vampire. He's for, just gay. For that reason... Was that me at 14? Yeah. yeah. God, I hate that guy. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed the character. Um, but for that reason, we're going to start with Twilight because of the way <laughs> Stephanie Meyer does play with the vampire Hell mythos. Yeah. Hell yeah. I think that's a fun place to start. And from there, I want to go into 30 Days of Night, uh, which kind of takes it a different direction, a much more... Uh, primal and vicious uh, vampire. It was uh, sort of, I mean, it was contemporaneous too, those movies. Yeah. And really the book, the novels and graphic yeah. novels. A, a yeah. zombesque vampire. Yeah. yeah. Great I white sharks. Say. Yeah. Great, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I just like that approach. I think it's really cool, uh, especially kind of, you know, juxtaposed with this playboy eccentric billionaire kind of idea we have of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as Legosi and Oldman play him, the Lothario vampire. Yeah. Yes, uh, so I, I like that juxtaposition. Dracula who pumps. Uh, yes, one hundred percent. And then uh, with that, I would round it out with what we do in the shadows, the film, <laughs> nice. because it does pull from those different mythos. And so we have the dandy and the Nosferatu, and uh, I think Ytt and um, uh, Clement play quite quite well in that playground. Uh, from there, I want to move into zombies. Uh, I, I want to start with Val Luton's "I Walked with a Zombie" from forty two. I think. Uh, and, and kind of talk about that history of the, the voodoo influence and, and the origins of those tales and the zombie. And then we've got to talk about Night of the Living Dead and how Romero kind of modernizes that in the 60s. Uh, and then I want to look at it again uh, in 2000s with 28 Days Later, which gives us the fast zombie and kind of plays with those ideas as well. And the rabies zombie. Yeah. Uh, then we're going to do werewolves. Uh, so we're going to go to the universal classic, The Wolfman. Uh, then we're going to talk about Teen Wolf because it, it plays with that idea of the genetics of werewolfism that it's mm-hmm. not just a bite but and there's the, a family and, curse and the racism mm, and the racism <laughs> <laughs> the eugenics of werewolves well i mean it, i mean and that is you know a thing we can look at but i mean that is kind of deeply tied into the wolfman myth and, and sure. nazis and, and germans and that whole idea is there in, in, in its history uh and then i would end that with the howling and american werewolf is also kind of play with those ideas of like silver doesn't actually work moons don't matter uh, bullets, pure bullets can just kill you. You know, it kind of plays with those uh, mythol- mythological uh, components of the werewolf no story. No Lugaru, no Wolf Cop. Or Ginger Snaps, <laughs> another good another good. Option. I thought about Ginger Snaps, I did. Yeah. Ginger Snaps is good, Wolf Cop is not, although I love it. No, Wolf Cop's good. Wolf Cop's got it. Yeah, We're I mean, I, I don't know, let's it, not besmirch Wolf Cop on this show. But is it good? 
Yes. Uh, it depends what your metric is. It's got the line, I, I, you're I, a wolf cop. Uh, Dustin, so it's I, good. I like it. So I bought it. I, wanna, I like it so much. I, I want to remind you that in this movie, our hero, Lou Garou, uh, his penis turns into a werewolf penis. <laughs> good, movie. <laughs> good movie. Good <laughs> movie. I rest my case, Your Honor. And finally, I want to look at witches. Uh, and I think I am going to put uh, The Wizard of Oz on here because it kind of carries that iconic look of the green-skinned uh, hag of a you know witch. We can talk about the the racist uh, racial elements there as well with mm-hmm. the, the the witch. Uh, and then I'll look at the uh, 30s, 40s. I married a witch, starring Veronica Lake, which has this very I Dream of Jeannie kind of cutesy witch uh, feel to it. Then we're going to look at the craft, uh, which kind of gives it that goth, emo, teenage feel. Uh, and then we're going to finally go back to the folk roots and look at the Vavitch. The Vavitch. Uh, Very and good. And talk about that. So I love me smeggers. That's what I do, though. I just want to look at these kind of classical horror monsters and myths and how they get played with over time and evolve for different times, different audiences, and reflect the different cultures that they are present in uh, and how it all comes together and, and plays with mythology through time and how it's okay for things to change and we don't have to be static all the time very cool very cool i like that very much thank you mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart you're welcome do you (laughs) i I, i'm so welcome i have to be welcomed in uh dalton what say you what syllabus do you have well i agree with arthur we we should we shouldn't be stuck in the past with our monsters we gotta let them be about different things and I, i think this kind of ties in with that a little bit this is looking at uh a class where we ex- examine the vampire as curse, right? Which is definitely an aspect of vampire folklore, especially in some of the, the options Arthur brought to us. But it's it is often, you know, it's an othering of the vampire, or it is a aristocracy metaphor, you know, or there's the the sexual component is uh, more turned uh, the, the dials are more t- turned up on that than the uh, the backlash i guess we should say um so i want to look at some films that examine that we're definitely going to be looking at the let me in and let the right one in uh the uh, swedish film or the scandinavian film and it's american remake uh which both deal with this idea that we'll deal with again in um interview with vampire uh the curse of being a child forever what a shit show what an absolute nightmare uh truly one of the worst things i can imagine uh worse than benjamin buttoning uh so much worse uh, but I like uh, Let Me In. I'm a Philistine and haven't seen Let the Right One In yet. There's a lot of movies. Uh, but I'd be excited to talk about them. Of course, we'll compare and contrast, uh, look at the nature of abusive relationships that gets explored uh, in that th- those films, uh, look at what, what does it mean to be forever uh, infantilized by the world, which, you know, it, it's no mistake that the forever child is a, is a, is a lady, is a little girl. Uh, and I think it definitely deals with what that means uh, for the vampire in those two films. Of course, again, we'll look at Interview with Vampire, which deals with a lot of the religious guilt uh, elements that are so strong within vampire stories, uh, deals with the, a society within itself. Uh, I also wanted to look at 30 Days of Night, but more uh, what one character's choice in that film, uh, the choice to become a vampire, to fight vampires or, uh, briefly, um, sort of the option to take power knowing it will consume you. Uh, if it, if it if you have a cause, uh, examining that idea, some cop, copaganda elements there, since it is a cop who does it too. Um, very interesting things we can look at. Uh, also, of course, want to look at the Jim Jarmusch movie Only Lovers Left Alive, which really hones in on this idea of what does it mean to be alive in a world that's dying, 
uh, in, in a world that's uh, an empire in decline and decay? What, what does it mean when you've lived through so many similar periods in history to have to do it again? What does it mean to have this power that you can't really use because the modern information age kind of prevents you from being anonymous? Um, what Again, what does it mean to be a modern vampire? I think the, that film explores those questions in interesting ways, uh, as does the film Vampire in Brooklyn, which I honestly just want an excuse to watch. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's and not a West Craven and another West Craven. And there's not a ton of uh, comedies about vampires and there's not a ton of black vampires. Um, it's pretty much that and Blackula. Um, I guess Ganjin Hess, of course. Um, so we can kind of look at that, that sort of uh, the, the really uh, interesting themes that get played with in those films. Uh, talk about the history of vampires in black cinema. Uh, we can look at Afflicted, which is uh, kind of explicitly, you know, uh, looking at viral vampires but also looking at vampires as a superpower um i like that movie you guys see that one that little found footage joint uh it's good i, I recommend it it's it's worth checking out uh and finally Cronus uh was another one that i, I thought mm. oh we got to talk about this because i really love what del toro does with vampire mythology in that one um i think it's really fun have you seen byzantium no but i know Dustin, oh, i like, like byzantium that a lot yeah. who's yeah. in it uh, Sarah Sarah Ronan. Ronan. yeah and jim arden Gotcha. I know it's got... Is it Irma Vep? No, that's another movie. That's Irma similar, Vep right? is another movie entirely, yeah. yeah. That's right. Who did uh, Byzantium, though? Is it somebody you like? Or is it nobody, I you know? Don't somebody remember note. I think there's, it's a notable name, but yeah. I don't recall what did who. He, he did something of... Oh, nope. No, oh, not the Empire. <laughs> there it is. We can do it. We can do it. Click on that. Neil Jordan. Neil, Neil Jordan. Jordan. There you go. You know the name. You'll know him. Uh, Crying Game. Yep. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, how how was that one? It's great. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. Kind of dealing with similar ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, curses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very cursy. Well, mm-hmm. Dustin, what do you got? I you I you know if you've never listened to this show before, Dustin loves him some vampires. I do, and, even and more so him some Dracula's. Specifically, some Dracula's. Uh, I am in. There's so this. many different kinds of Dracula. There, there are, and I think what I would do with the syllabus with this is I would stick it in a Dracula class, in which we are looking at the various sort of media adaptations. Of Dracula, and this would be part of the module of the vampire late twentieth to twenty first century updates, and uh, go just right into that neck of the woods. Uh, and so, with that, um, I think I would begin this movie's what I would begin with. Um, then I might recommend the novel, and not the rest of the series, but uh, the first novel uh, in Anno Dracula by Kim Newman, uh, in which what if Stoker, not Stoker, excuse me, Van Helsing and crew lost. Cool. And vampires have taken over the world. Cool. And so it is uh, very much uh, the 20th century now mediated as vampires rule everything, and there's a small resistance resisting the vampire overlords. I think that's very, very fun. Oh, which would connect us to a film also. Ethan Blade Hawks, uh wow. Daybreakers. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. And so what do you do and how do you resist? And, and, and so there's a cinematic adaptation therein. Um, that <laughs> I, we know, might... I know how you resist. Huh? Muscle cars and crossbows. Muscle cars and crossbows, <laughs> which is... That's going to be the name of my uh, biography. Muscle cars and crossbows. Good, yeah, that's good. Uh, crucifixes, muscle cars and crossbows. You got to have them all, right? That's true. You do need this. Crocsbows? It's crocs. a bow that fires crocs, <laughs> the shoe. <laughs> It's a Crocs bow. It That's good. Little rubber shoes that bounce off you. You just remember when Harvey Keitel made a uh, cross out of a shotgun and a baseball bat I from Dust to Dawn? I do God, what an image. What, what a moment, man. That's so movies. Um, but getting more specifically into Dracula's, though, because Daybreakers is not, 
Um, then I think uh, we would look at Guillermo del Toro's The Strain, specifically the television series, uh, starring the baddie from the um, the Ant Man movie. I forget it. Uh, Corey Stole. Stole. There you go. Um, and uh, that idea of a post nine eleven specifically terroristic kind of investigation of the vampire. And uh, then finally, I think I would look at the recent BBC series brought, brought, brought to you by the showrunners of Sherlock, uh, which was available on Netflix, The Dracula from Netflix, uh, which is a great little update. I mean, Klaus Bang is such a good ba- uh, Dracula, man. Yeah, he's, he, he's so good. <laughs> he just is, like does donuts around poor Gerard Butler. He really does. Um, and uh, though it does not do the fun mythology sort of spreading in the same way, um, yeah. it, it, it's playing with it and playing with... Dracula as urtext, but being uh, sort of an irreverent adaptation, and I, I like that about it. And so it's it's very very interesting. It's like Fuller's Hannibal in that it uses potential mm-hmm. knowledge of the source material to mess with you, right? Which is fun. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, it, precisely that. Mm-hmm. And so that would be the update module I would do on Dracula in media in a uh, class uh, that would be totally dedicated to the Lord of Darkness. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. With that, I believe now it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. Now, Dustin, you hit on uh, that Vampire in Brooklyn is also a Wes Craven Presents. Correct. I thought it would be fun to talk about the Presents film. Because there's not, I mean, Wes Craven gets to do them. QT gets to do some. Who else? I can't. I couldn't think of anybody. Uh, George A. Romero presents. Uh, sure, but John now, Carpenter presents. Well, does that count though? Does name above the title if you're the director count? I was sort of thinking. Well, these, no, these are producers. Jordan credits. Pill. Yeah, Jordan uh, Pill is above uh, the Jordan title Pill now. Production. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, typically, I mean, yeah. Trying to think about yeah, others. it's not always set as a presents, but you're right. It is usually auteur gone producer, right? Yeah, and which which ta- which hails back to the days of Val Luton and those RKO yeah. uh, particular sort of horror films of the 30s and 40s, really the 40s more than the 30s. Even the house style, kind the of house thing. style yeah. that's sort of governed by that. And, you know, Jacques Tourneau and others will be directing and have their own little stamp on it. Amblin. Uh Peter mm-hmm. Jackson's another Amblin. one. Uh, yeah, okay. That, was it Mortal Engines yeah. that came out? Yeah, that, I thought I thought that was a Peter Jackson film. By how heavily his name was above the title. I think, yeah. Well, and I think the director on that was one of the 80s or second yeah, folks from on uh, yeah, Lord, of Rings. Lord of Rings. But it's obviously a sales point. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. the, the, the auteur the of know. commerce, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the commercial auteur, I guess, rather, uh, following Corgan. I mean, this was the whole thing for the Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the right. TV show. Right. Yep, there you go. And, uh, uh, you know, Hitch would uh, direct an episode or two here and there, but for the most part, it was other directors, uh, sort of a Rod Serling sorts, and uh, that they would... It does sort of make me wish Wes Craven would talk about Dracula 2000 at the start of the movie a little bit. Oh, or like, oh I not that I love Tarantino, uh, but like about to see. QT talking about Iron Monkey before it starts. That would be kind of cute. I'm sure he would be way too excited. Yeah. 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 Uh, it would be fun. It would but, be cool. Um, and I, I think here you see... A little bit of the Craven touch, insofar as we think about the uh, Wes Craven directed uh, Nightmares on Elm Street, the, those are the most Christian, right? Those are the most sort of heavily influenced by Craven's own evangelicalism. Famously, as you know or may not know, uh, Craven is a graduate from Wheaton College, which is the uh, the the uber evangelical school uh, undergraduate uh, degrees. Blowing my mind here. Uh, yeah, uh, and so. 
Famously, Billy Graham with Wheaton, and uh, a number of other sort of uh, major evangelical figures have uh, had got their Bible degrees. The whole there. Graham brood go. Mm-hmm. The whole Graham brood. The uh, rest of them. Where did Franklin go? I don't know. He might have gone to Wheaton as well. I don't gotcha. really know. But anyway, that's now is he? It, wow, God, that reform uh, recontextualized so much of what Wes Craven's work for right. me. Uh, and so you know, he, he's got an English degree. He was an undergrad uh, adjunct. Or maybe he was just an instructor. Maybe maybe he was as far as assistant profe- uh, professor, as far as his rank goes, uh, teaching on the East Coast, and then eventually uh, migrated over to Hollywood for creative writing purposes, screenwriting, and eventually into directing Last House on the Left, and then The Big Break after Hills Have Eyes with uh, the Nightmare movies. Just coming out swinging too with some nasty little movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just... and so he's warring against some of that sort of yeah. you know. There's something real transgressive. Yeah. To his approach, yeah. But that being <laughs> like like somebody who was raised religious would make, yeah. right? But but yet there still remains a sort of fundamental goodness, good versus evil, ideas of sacrifice, ideas of purity. Again, thinking about the final girl trope and how he plays with that, and also just the idea that um, what we're dealing with is a mythology, but there is a certain traction to a certain type of mythology that is useful to you. If you believe it, I think there's a moment here that I think is really interesting mm. where the Omar cross does says, not work on Omar Epps. I'm an atheist. Yeah. He's an atheist. He Love doesn't, it. he doesn't abhor the cross. Of course, the cross is not going to um, repel Dracula either. It sure. angers him. Yeah. But again, the idea that like uh, of, <laughs> of whether or not you have a religious vampire menacing you and what they're into is going to determine how well you word them off. But I, it's, I, I think that sort of plays into a lot of what uh, Craven we might find in his oeuvre there. I mm. mean, less so in New Nightmare, but again, he's playing with the idea of uber uh, sort of meta-mythologies there at that point, which I think is the same kind of idea that we might find in Dream Warriors in Nightmare 3. So, um, yeah, for sure there's there's something going on there uh, with a producer as auteur there. I think also just from a production standpoint, I think it's interesting that, you know, when these films get poorly received or anything, what, you know, what does that look like to the producer, you know, yeah. for how West much Craven. does it impact their brand? Yeah, that I mean, because no, I can't think of anything notable. You know, if Tarantino produced something with his name over the credits. No one's probably going to because he's Tarantino. He's kind of yeah. bulletproof in that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, what Man with the Iron Fists is one of the most recent of him having uh, his name kind of stamped on it as a producer. Had that movie didn't do super great, but it got a sequel. You know, yeah. it didn't, yeah. didn't really impact his stride. And I guess that's at the point in your career when you do it is when. Whatever anybody else does that has your name on it isn't going to really impact your overall sort of clout, which, you know, in in that industry is a a big part of who gets to make what. I mean, Carpenter, as you mentioned, Dustin, like that's, you know, his first big run at the bat for the studios was the thing, which, you know, took people a while to realize what what, what sort of movie they were dealing with. Uh, And then that kind of changes the trajectory of his career. So it is. Yeah, I think it's. It's going to impact you more if it's your own movie that stumbles. And, and to be clear, um, the producers had a heavy influence in scripting, screenwriting, and even selections of what kind of shots, how to go about uh, working on a certain special effect, or uh, what a particular scene was going to look like. The hallway scene with the red billowing curtains, uh, mm-hmm. Craven's yeah. uh, input was uh, addressed quite a bit in the director commentary yeah, again. Uh, as like, this is how we can achieve that mm. kind of look. Also, um, Bob and He Who Shall Not Be Named Weinstein were also quite influential as, um, you know, Dimension was Bob's um, mm. Bob's baby. Uh, yeah, the there's, I wonder, did they talk about the vault thing? There's a really cool vault 
uh, cut in there. Yeah, the editor there... found it. Yeah, love it. No, that yeah, it was not written in the screenplay. The editor found this sort of one to one correspondence between the eyeball and uh, the eyeball shot, and then the uh, the striations of the uh, the vault opening. Editors, the secret director for sure. I mean, found the gold. There's something there. to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, it is kind of interesting then, uh, because you know the like Iron Monkey, which I mentioned earlier, that's a you know QT vouching for a movie that had long been made. It was done mm-hmm. and gone, <laughs> or done and made and well received in Asia before you know he brought it over to the to North America. Right, kind of just different versions of of that role. Which for is sure, interesting. I like hearing that Craven was hands on with this. That's fun. I think also the idea of when does it elevate the artist as the director, right? Yeah, because I, mean, I think a lot about for him. Well, yeah, and I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele's relationship on Candyman. Mm, okay. Where, you know, she's been able to kind of, for a long time, the, it was completely marketed as Jordan Peele's. And, you know, I'd see people on Twitter constantly kicking back against Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's that battle there of auteurism of, well, Jordan probably may have had stuff to say. And get it. Yeah, get you the know, movie. He's not just going to be like, here's your money, go. So well, I think that's interesting, but also you know now she's uh, you know kind of taken this and turned it into a, a Marvel, yeah. Gig too, oh, yeah. you know she's got that coming. Oh, uh, it seems like the studio on that one, right? The studio knows that they've got Jordan Peele movies make money. Yeah. So if his name's on the thing, then the thing makes money. Yeah. But I mean, not just that, but I mean, finding these directors and and when does that elevate the director versus mm. you know was Patrick Lussier is that his name? Uh, yeah. You know, he hasn't really done much. Sure. And I, I guess that goes back into how these films are received, but I'm also thinking of Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard on Cabin in the Woods as well. Sure. That kind of relationship. Well, and Kevin Feige with, yeah, I mean, you've already mentioned he had a cost of moving yeah. on to work for Marvel, but that's kind of like the whole thing. There's probably a lot of directors whose careers outside of the Marvel umbrella or Disney umbrella, I guess, are, you know, going to be... Uh, a big question mark for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Who 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 does who who's the qui bono here when it comes to this sort of presents business? Yeah. yeah. Another major thematic I think we need to think about in sort of a broad sense mm-hmm. is um, in terms of analysis. Before we even actually get into proper analysis of what this thing is, um, there's a remark that Jacques Derrida made, the impossible to read French uh, postmodern, maybe post structuralist philosopher, who uh, suggests that interpretation. Because of the readership changing over time, interpretation changes over time. Sure. You know, Dracula being a great example of this, right? So we've got Stoker's sort of anti-immigrant mm-hmm. screed that's going on in the novel. Then we've yeah. got the 30s film, which is sort of this Eastern Lothario kind of thing, somewhat sexualized, but this is kind of Freud as an influence here. And then we move into the 80s, and it becomes like HIV AIDS. We move into the 2001s and beyond with Del Toro, and it's sort of a terrorism thing. Mm-hmm. And how those... Uh, times and places of uh, the film being made or the adaptation being made in these cases shows us the ways in which Dracula is being viewed through these various sort of cultural historical lenses. This is the sort of the big, yeah, the big 4D zoom out on really all three of our syllabi. Like what, what does it mean for a type of, not even just a genre, but like a, a type of story, a type of founding cornerstone in the story you're telling. A of property, vampire. I mean, almost. Yeah, yeah. A property, yeah. Even not though it's a domain, yeah. No, not uh, quite an IP, but yeah. How does that impact and how does like the, the ever-turning wheel of takes I, uh, change? Well, I, I saw a tweet, God, probably like a month or so ago now, somebody tweeted, but they said, wouldn't it be, you know, it'd be cool if every 30 years they remade uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers 
to you know address the fears of that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, right and on, I just yeah. thought about that a lot because I mean that's kind of the idea we have there with the you know the fifties version and then the seventies version and then. I think, dots, Apple's, right? I think Apple has a... It's just called Invasion, but it's got yeah. Sam Neill, and it looks to be in a, a body snatcher situation. But it's that, it's that same idea, right? Like, yeah. how can we update the story to address where we're at? I mean, zombies are another one. You know, to your point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, yeah. Yeah. Oh, zombies, of course. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It, so that's... I. You know, Dustin had a, a very good philosopher to check, but I, I thought it was just worth being like, oh, there, there is a big... Like, yeah, this is something you got to deal with if you're talking about the recycling of stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so, I mean, that, that sort of brings us here, you know, and I, one of the things that this movie does before we get in, I mean, it's very postmodern in the sense that it does a lot of pastiche homage kind of stuff, you know, uh, sort of, you know, moving from Derrida into the content of the film a little bit. So the uh, psychologist that we meet in the uh, police uh, precinct uh, is uh, named Dr. Seward, which oh, is yeah, yeah. You know, famously the same Dr. Seward, you know, from the novels. Lucy. Uh, Lucy, right. Uh, just the use of that that red drapery that feels very much like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, the uh, There's a couple other moments that are sort of homage to various bits of the previous Films. Yeah, we already mentioned uh, Plummer kind of feeling like he's channeling Cushing a little bit. Right. Yeah, it's very... definitely the look of Van Helsing. Well, yeah. and all those flashbacks where we see the the Victorian era Dracula does feel very, very uh, Hammer-esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and and so the the movie knows those kinds of things and it, and is doing that and well and the and the the, uh, the inverted floating sex scene um, this is back to the Langella Dracula from seventy eight seventy nine whenever that was uh, that it was made. Well, there's a similar scene in that film. Yeah. And so th- there, there's there's that bit of postmodernism there. Now let's get to... The big spoiler that we kept alluding to. Oh, well, we're not a spoiler Can't even get to that yet. Okay. I, 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 we can. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. I like, I like, I like Dustin's slow buildup. He's, he's really ramping us up there. I, 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 he is. I, I, what are you I, ramping me up for? Well, I, well, I want to just, you know, because once we get there, we're going to be done, right? I mean, you know, that's the... Okay, probably. Once, once yeah. you climax, you're finished. Well, um, and uh, That's not necessarily true. That's a, that's a very <laughs> masculine-centered way of thinking about things. Um, with well, this movie. So there okay, is... Okay, all right. Fair enough. All right. So... So, how 20th century, 21st century is this movie? Yeah, That's which side question. of the divide is it on? Right. What mm. do we, what do we, how 2000 is this movie? I wrote right here, wow, it sure is the Y2K uh, here in my notes. So, I guess I, I think I fall on it. It's a very 21st century movie, or at the very least, it's trying to say, this is what the 21st century is going to be, dude. Right. Uh, especially with its title and its wire work. And its wire <laughs> and work. It's black leather. Well, and when Dracula is walking, you know, through Mardi Gras, this is the sort of uh, what decadence of the time. What's he, what is it? What's his line? Brilliant. Yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, when he sees the video screen of a, a very sexy kind of video going on. Yeah, with some the, religious iconography. I don't remember what band it is. Some sort of schlocky new metal band. Yeah, but I, I you know, we're already seeing seeds of this in the, when this is going to kind of foreshadow next week's film. But uh, uh, Dark Castle. Produced, distributed uh, House on Haunted Hill mm. uh, in '99. Oh, there you go. Which really kind of foreshadows this, this you know, the heavy rock soundtrack. You got the Marilyn Manson covers in House on Haunted Hill, and versus the Haunting that same year, which is kind of a much more austere remake. Traditional, yeah, yeah. In, in yeah there's format. a System of the Down song, I think, that's sort of on the credits. That's kind of the main single off the soundtrack of this movie. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, it does feel like. And and that's the thing, you know, that we're probably going to get into is that 
the this late '90s style, I guess, that really does define the 2000s. You know, we, we you know we kind of make jokes when Venom came out. That's a very 2000s movie. Yeah, but that style was already starting to get planted in in the late '90s, '98, '99. I think. Oh yeah, well, I mean, for sure. I mean, Gerard Butler's costuming and just general look. I mean, he absolutely could be in the prophecy, right? He absolutely could be Christopher Walken. Or um, Eric Stoltz, a lot of flowy or, unbuttoned shirts. Or, yeah, or well, yep. in the long coats, yep. right? And yeah. there's even a moment where he's like sort of in that crouched position on top of a building, which is very much part of that. Which is very much part of the Crow, the Matrix, the Matrix, which again feels like it foreshadows Underworld and like what two or three years after this is right. released, right? Sort of that that gun gun fu iconography mixed with vampires. Correct. Yeah, and so I mean, aesthetically, I think it's, I don't I don't know if it does anything culturally. Other than, you know, we got a rock and roll star who's one of the brides. Well, I would say the religious stuff is sort of its millennialism, right? Like, that's that's sort of this movie's hang-up on the year 2000 is the Christendom uh, oh, of yeah. the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I read it, is I, I the return right. of... Uh, the great traitor, or a great traitor, I guess. Not the the one, uh, but one of the other ones. God, the Bible really hates hates traitors. Uh, not, a, not a fan of, yeah, mm. well, fidelity seems to be important, you know, to that narrative, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, okay sure, sure, sure. So, uh, I guess we might as well get to it now. So, yeah. go ahead and say it, Dalton. You've been wanting to. He's... All... <laughs> Scotsman Gerard Butler plays Judas Iscariot. You know, that famous Aramaic dude. Because Dracula is Judas, folks, if you haven't guessed yet. And the movie does a pretty good job of, like, doling out nuggets for you to figure it out. I, that's why I didn't want us to... I'm glad we didn't spoil it, because, like, I feel like the movie definitely gives you room to get there with, right. without it telling you. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I think Lucier said something about everything they know about Judas, they knew from uh, Judas, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. And and you definitely see that, you know? Yeah. He's like Jesus' best bro, his buddy, who uh, does the betrayal to maybe get the job done... Right to get him to that place, and then is left in the lurch and cursed for it. Yeah, and so um, he feels betrayed uh, rather than um, that he, he himself is the, is, is the betrayer. Right? Yeah, the, the sort of vindicated Judas is a, mm-hmm. a fun. It, it's a different way to make Dracula sympathetic than I have seen ever before, and I right. think that that's really interesting. Yeah. And of course, you know, the ways in which they play with the iconography to make that work is brilliant, right? So, yeah. you know, doesn't like holy relics. Why? Because he's kind of mad at the church. Doesn't care for silver. 30 pieces thereof is what he traded Jesus for. Um, later on, you know, the whole vampire uh, mythology about having to untie knots in part two. That's because he was hung on a rope. Uh, and so... So on and so forth. It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, it, it checks out in yeah, a way. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And even, you know, famously, they if you spill seed or something small, they have to pick it up and count it, which, again, goes back to the silver on the ground and, like, having to pick that up, I think. And I think it's just a very clever way to build out this character who's, you know, got multiple origins, but, you know, kind of the the idea we always associate with him is, is Vlad the Impaler, but to kind of take it back even further and, and I think gives it a lot more, like you said, heart and really does allow you to kind of feel for Dracula in a way. Yeah, because Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula just says, but what if the warlord had a girlfriend Yeah, that right. he was sad about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Following Richard Matheson, basically, there, with oh, the okay. screenplay for the Michael Curtis. Uh, not Michael. I do that wrong every time. <laughs> Which Curtis is it? Um, ah, I forget every time, but it doesn't matter. Um, the one with Jack Pellens playing Dracula. Okay. Yeah. Um, Curtis. We'll just go with Curtis and just go with that. You seem so dumbfounded and I'm, crestfallen. I'm mad. I'm mad that I can't remember. Uh, 
to, to kind of bring us home then, uh, or not home, but to, to wrap around the, the iconography, uh, and, and this sort of, uh, <laughs> it harkens back to your question about what side of the dividing line on this is, the, is this movie on. Uh, it ends with Dracula hanging from a neon cross, and that feels pretty... Very, very postmodern. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think there's another important kind of postmodern reference as I think about um, a, an important work in early 2000s um, biblical ministry praxis, which is a little book called Postmodern Youth Ministry. Uh, by uh, Tony Jones, one of the emergent church uh, leaders. Um, when faced with the Bible, Gerard Butler's Dracula says, one word, propaganda, right? Which is funny and, you know, like in the sort of sacrilegious, you know, kind of... I don't of... know, a certain reading of the Council of Nicaea, not wholly inaccurate. Uh, well, okay, but but um, interestingly enough, there's an entire chapter in Postmodern Youth Ministry that makes this argument that the Bible is, of course, propaganda. And that it's fine Interesting. That, that it is, because the Bible is an argument that you might believe. It is trying to convince you of something. It's trying to change your mind, which is, uh, again, sort of a strange or new kind of postmodern way to sort of go about, you know, practicing uh, some kind of Christian faith. Um, I, I just wonder if there isn't some sort of genealogical connection here. That's where, really interesting. Where Jones may have seen this movie and goes, well, yeah, it is, and yeah, we should think about it that way, and... Might, might be helpful, in fact. Well, I'm sure Gerard Butler uh, in this movie is not the first person to say that, right? I mean, right. there's some uh, crusty religious studies professor who's probably said that a ton of times. Yeah, for uh, sure. And that's honestly probably where they got the idea for making Judas. I just think about how pop culture infused those cats were at that time, and so it makes me think that that's a more likely first connection. Yeah, does make know. a lot of sense. Is there an, any other work that uses this idea that Judas is uh, Dracula? Uh, that Judas is Dracula. I mean, there's I mean, there's refer- all kinds of Judas being there's uh, a, a spooky. There's a line in Stoker where he's got eyes like Judas at one point, or a look like Judas at some point. There's a, there's a descriptor where uh, Judas has made it, uh, the metaphor, or the simile for a uh, uh, indirect characterization hmm. moment of Dracula. The the other uh, uh, origin story that I alluded to earlier was Cain. The idea that Cain's mm. the uh, the mm-hmm. mark of Cain is vampirism. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, that is another interesting biblical reference, yeah. and I have heard that sort of Mark of Cain stuff and yeah. the seed of Cain, and this is all the way back to Grendel, right, and Beowulf. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Who, who's descended from Cain as well? Fun, um, right? It's fun. It's a <laughs> making your bad guy old as heck is one of the coolest shortcuts to making your bad guy seem scary. Right, seem scary, and giving uh, some heft to uh, some literary heft to your overall sort of text piece of art that you're creating right um quick question this is this is just sort of a the plotting of the movie question how come she knew what her dad looked like how come she knew christopher Plummer was her dad didn't she move away when she was real young and never meet him she hadn't seen him in 12 years but she's like in her mid-20s so you'd okay, think she would right. be in early Hold teens up. and he is picture dalton Okay. Well, you know they let you know they made a big deal about how they fled and cause one he night was... sound of music was on TV and her mom was like, "You see that man? <laughs> That's your That's daddy. your father, hey, not the but... guy that was shooting up Dracula blood." But by the way, not only is Dracula much older than we thought, Matthew Van Helsing is also much older. He's Abraham than we... Van Helsing because yeah. he is Abraham Van Helsing who has used purified blood from the leeches that he puts on the body of Dracula after he has trapped him. Um, the leak just somehow have a pu- purified the blood. He's been injecting himself with 
purified vampire blood to live forever without being, I guess, suffering from vampirism. And somehow he's passed on a, a terrible bit of that to his daughter. I had a question for you, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I, unless you have more to say about that, because I, I, I don't know. I just wanted to say that that was a thing in the plot that is wild. It's worth knowing about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the movie does anything, right? It doesn't turn the movie into any sort of sins of the father type story. Not really, no. Other than the fact that, that yeah, Dracula's now on her. connected to her because she's got his blood. She's blood of his yeah. blood. But does not really do typical language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But nothing really that interesting done with it. What I find more interesting is the fact that Judas doesn't get forgiveness in this movie, which I, I think is oh, interesting. Probably well, makes for a more fun, you know, bombastic ending. Well, the ending, I mean, they, there's some discussion of this at the end of the, of the director's commentary. They, they, I'm so glad you watched the director's commentary. They feel as though it is ambiguous that he may have been able to achieve release and peace. At least until at, they make Dracula 2 Legacy or whatever. At that end. And because there is famously uh, a sort of not really often discussed way in which uh, to cure vampirism is to offer absolution. Oh, I don't know. Didn't the know reason why you are cursed to walk the earth forever is that you are damned. That, that vampirism is a form of damnation. And because you're still walking the earth, you could still receive absolution. And through oh. that... Escape huh. vampirism, okay, okay, which is a thing. I mean, nobody ever talks about. It's hardly ever used uh, in the various. What's one that comes? Is there one that comes to mind for you that like notably used it? They used idea? that. No, yeah, I can't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's fun though. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a thing. But yeah, not one that's really brought out more often it's garlic or running water because of like baptism kind of language mm. to bury the body there or um stuffing the mouth uh, what is it stuffing the mouth full of garlic beheading Cut the head off yeah. burning yeah right staking to the grounds so you can't get up ah yeah the idea of staking being that that way they can't rise yeah so that that sort of stuff well and this is, of course just cutting back to all the things a bunch of Irish peasants were doing to their dead bodies at one point. Yes. Or I guess peasants all throughout Europe. Yes. <laughs> just just doing weird shit to their bodies for a couple of years. The plague really messed everybody up. Well, that and sometimes people did die, or they thought they were dead, and they were not actually quite dead yet to go back to Monty Python. Um, the, the phrase we have, dead ringer, yeah, is real because the, bell. they, the bells. Right. And yeah. we, we see the bells in a recent uh, Conjuring movie. I think it's in The Nun, maybe. Oh yeah, um, where the yeah where there's yeah. bells yeah. there, right? As a plot device as yeah. well. Yep, yep, yep. A couple things of use. It's a fun thing to use. It's mm-hmm. fun to use yeah. grave bells. Yeah, it is. It's a cool idea. Uh, we will be moving into so. This is one of the last movies to come out. The last horror movies. You know, we are in October. This is one of the last horror movies to come out before nine eleven. Right. The rest of the films we will be talking about in this marathon will be post nine eleven films. It was said by a person whose name I forgot to write down uh, <laughs> that 9-11 marked the end of irony, the end of the age of irony, which is, of course, not what happened. Not what happened at all. <laughs> it's very much a misread of what uh, was going to happen with the internet. Irony did take a break for a minute. It did. Uh, it was a very sincere moment for a second after 9-11, but about a second is about how long it lasted. Well, and I, I think irony sort of became a way to process, mm-hmm. right? But I guess the reason I bring it up is... Where does this film fall on the line of like irony filmmaking? Where does it fall as sort of like a a moment in time that's sort of encapsulated by a movie? Uh, and what does that mean for the rest of the movies going forward? We're just these are questions to think about as we go throughout the marathon. 
I don't, I don't know. There, there's a the Selena after she becomes a vampire. There's a moment where she's saying to Johnny Lee Miller, um, "You Englishmen, you want to woo us, you want to love us, and all we really want to do is suck." Right? I mean, that, that that's good hilarious. line. Good line. Um, and and I, I think that is sort of a, a postmodern irony kind of thing. Like you, go, you don't have that line before the '90s postmodern moment. Again, the '90s sort of marks the beginning of postmodern. Of cinema for the most part. I mean, postmodernism existed before that. There's some postmodernism, of course, in the 80s. But Generation X itself sort of showing up in yeah. filmmakers with uh, screenwriters and filmmakers having a heavy influence. Really, the 90s is when that happens. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's Scream that is the reason there's a yeah. Wes Craven's Dracula 2000. Correct, yeah, and yeah. which is that, that very, very postmodern thing. And again, yep. that's super ironic, right? Mm-hmm. Um and this does feel like a heavy irony film in that sense, in the way it's silly but also serious. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the way irony kind of plays itself out. It's not just not just silly, although irony in the '90s is at times silly. It's, it starts to become something else, though, right? It, it's silly. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's got some ridiculously silly bits. Sure, there. You know, John yeah. Travolta killed on a toilet. Right, but it is a very serious film at the same time. Yeah, and, and there, there, there's sort of this again versus seriousness versus this sincerity um, is a different sort of scale or a different spectrum, and that '90s postmodernism is a is a silly to serious spectrum to my mind. That makes sense. Whereas I think there is more of a, the thing that's coming is a sincerity versus eye rolling. Mm-hmm. I, try, I wish I could think of better words because, but like nice core is a thing that sort of doesn't happen until the end of this most recent decade. Right. Right. It, it is sort of, it is the aughts and the, the teens and the, sort of the internet poisoning everyone's minds that leads to people being like, well, but maybe we could be nice, which of course creates yet another backlash to, all right, but we don't need to be right. I mean, I think of John Mayer's recent comments about soft rock, you know, with this idea of a of rock and roll that doesn't have a hard edge. Right. Um, seems he be- would know. Yeah, it seems very, very kind of uh, that that what a nice core is the word you use. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think that works for that as well. Yeah, but anyway, it's just something that I I, I know I'll be thinking about throughout this marathon. So I just kind of want to throw it out there in the water because I think there's knowing what we have on the docket. I think there is definitely a, a gamut being run. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, are there any other concluding thoughts that we want to um, elucidate? If there are not, I believe it is now time to render a verdict with this film. Shelf or trash? What say you, Arthur? I think I will very lightly shelf it. I I, I enjoy it. Uh, I, I just really like what it does with the myth, mythology of, of Dracula. I, I think that's just so clever uh, and, and a lot of fun. And, and I think for the most part it holds up, like I said, it's like probably forty to fifty percent is rough, which is half the movie. But you know what? I, I think the other half warrants a watch and warrants conversation amidst the kind of spate of vampire films out there. I think this one does try to be somewhat original mm-hmm. in, in its in its processes, and I appreciate that about it. So I, I would very very gently put it on the shelf. All right, thank you very much for that. What do you say, Dalton? Shelf or trash? This movie is currently streaming on HBO Max, and that is exactly where it needs to live. Is streaming, and I don't—I would kind of mean that as a compliment, a little bit, uh, sort of in the way that I like trashing Netflix movies from time to time. Um, it, it is what it says it is on the box, you know, and I like that about this movie. I do appreciate it, uh, but I don't, I don't, you don't need to own this. Although, as Dustin has shown us, pretty interesting DVD commentary if you do uh, get that one. 
for sure, for sure. I think Dalton meant Paramount Plus. Oh, is it is it Paramount Plus that has this one? I did. I did, of course, mean Paramount Plus. How did they end up with it? Not important. That doesn't matter. Who knows how this shit works? Um, so, yeah. Uh, what I'm going to say, it's got Dracutus. Um, why would I not want that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. For me, as a big fan... Um, Vladis Iscariot. Vladis Iscariot, yeah. yeah. I mean, why would you... Yeah, you, you need it um, if you're a Dracula fan like I am. And not only am I a person who would shelf it, I have shelved it now twice. Um, as I had... Uh, a DVD copy of the uh, three film trilogy together, and I have now bought them individually because my one DVD, two set of DVD, got outside of the case, and children moved it, and it's on top of a bread box or something like that right now at my house, and is scratched beyond repair. It's so just sort of taking up space as a coaster, right? For sure. And so now I've um, repurchased it. Uh, uh, them, I should say. Um, also, Rutger Hauer in the last one as Dracula. Yeah, I like that they keep recasting Dracula. That's pretty cool. Well, every time you sort of almost destroy him, he changes shape. And I love so that. Gerard Butler's look is not the Dracula that uh, would have been seen, although it was the one that was seen by um, Christopher Plummer uh, when he was Van Helsing in Victorian Age. They've retconned that, that he would have looked different, and he always looks different every time he kind of comes back from a major resurrection. This fall, from the directors of Doctor Who, comes Doctor Acula. Dr. Acula. I'm there for it's it. It's a good joke. It is, always will be a good joke. It's funny that uh, Al- Alucard spelling Dracula backwards. That's funny, too. That's always great. I just like the idea that, uh, much like Dr. Who, there's constant regenerations of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun idea. So, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on uh, Dracula 2000, brought to you by Patrick Lussier and Wes Craven. Also known as Dracula 2001 in other territories. Uh, Dracula 2001, a vampire odyssey. Uh, with that... Dalton, yes. Um, can you tell them how they can be part of the conversation with us? Uh, I will try my best. Uh, we are on Twitter at good underscore. Nope, we're on Twitter at good trash media. Sorry about that. Uh, not that we would encourage you to be on Twitter for any amount of time. Uh, not being on the internet is good for your brain, good for your uh, your soul. Uh, but you know, if you want to see what we're into, it's uh, at good trash media. We retweet uh, articles that we're interested in, little news tidbits that are going around in the world of film Twitter. Uh, funny, good. Uh, film Twitter goofs that are going on, uh, and you know, uh, links to shows that our, our friends make, like uh, uh, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex, or The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade, uh, Bad Girls Die First. We share some of their episodes too. Um, they're fun. Uh, I listened to one of theirs recently, it's really good. Um, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, if you want to send us a long form response, if you really got something about Dracula 2000 that you can't get out of your craw. Uh, it's just stuck there. You can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. I don't know. That feels like all the social media worth talking about. Arthur, why don't you tell the nice folks what uh, we're going to be watching next week? Next week, the repugnant remakes roll on as we tackle the 2001 take on William Castle's cult showing 13 Ghosts. That was great. Very, it was very Peter Laurie, and that I was like, yeah, was, it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought Laurie was what he was doing. I That's was trying really to go good. for Vincent Price. Uh, well, no. it's landed somewhere between the two of them, yeah. but I did. No, it, it works worked, both ways. Exactly, yeah. it worked really yeah. well. Honestly, I'm I'll work on it. it. So <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it in the next ten minutes before we record the episode. Next, <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, there isn't a lot of space between a Laurie and a Price. There, it really isn't. It's a thin margin. <laughs> it's basically the same impression. It's what I'm saying. But there you go, dear listener. Work on your impressions, and we'll keep watching. You keep watching as well, and we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.
Not afraid.